Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. I'm Bart Mikkels, Country Manager for Kantar in the UK. Today, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This podcast episode is about customer experience and why that's really important. And we're joined by Craig Donaldson, who's the CEO of Metro Bank. So, Craig, welcome to the podcast. And maybe kick us off with uh, tell us a little bit about Metro Bank. Of course, Andrew. Thank you for the invite, by the way. Um, so, Metro Bank was the first new high street bank in over 100 years in the UK. Uh, we got our banking license on the 5th of March 2010, and we opened our doors on the 29th of July 2010. Um, we had one store, 67 of us but with a culture and a focus on creating fans. For us, it was all about creating fans because fans bring other people to you. Today, we're sitting here uh, with over one and a half million customers. We've got 63 stores. We have 3,900 colleagues, and uh, we continue to grow and do it a better way because what we do is focus on customers. So, Craig, I mean, customer experience is a big topic, not just for marketing people, but business people. Where does customer experience as a, an issue, as a priority sit within the Metro Bank proposition? Well, I think experience sits at number one. Um, but I would add colleague and customer experience in, if I may, because I think if you can align colleague and customer experience and treat both equally, then your colleagues treat your customers better as well. And so it can't be just about customers, it's got to be about how you think as a whole organization, how you create a culture focused on experience for everyone, and that has to be the number one focus. So would you say in terms of how Metro Bank operates and how it measures itself and how it trains itself, whatever, those two things are the most important thing yes, to you? Yes, definitely. I mean, f for us, if you look at Glassdoor, we're the highest ranked bank on Glassdoor. We're, the, uh, we're in the top 25 for great places to work. We take things like that very seriously. We've won a, a number of social mobility awards, training awards, because we genuinely do want to bring in great colleagues, develop them through. Because if you've got motivated colleagues who want to deliver what the organization's about, you know by default your customers will get a great level of service. But that's not just in store, that's across things like an app developer. 
That's things like somebody who works in your operational risk department. You've got to make sure that everybody's bought in to knowing it's about the experience. And that's so important for us, so, so important. And what, do you do? and what do you do internally in terms of making it clear to people which bits of the experience are most important and how you show up in them? You know, that's a really great question. And, and I guess we don't think about it like that. Because for us, different people will focus on different parts of the experience, but knowing that it's all about creating a fan. So for us, we say the whole, the culture is about creating fans, the business model is about creating fans, and therefore you know you have to go that step further to create a fan. And whether you're focusing on how we onboard somebody, how we support somebody, how you would deal with a, a something that goes wrong and how you resolve it, it's got to be about creating fan through it all. Uh, and therefore you can't choose parts. You've got to really genuinely focus on the fan and then what that fan would want. And therefore it's got to be I guess access all areas. Uh, they can't have, oh, but you don't need to worry about that bit. You absolutely have to worry about every bit. And I guess that's why for me, it, it's the old saying of retail as detail actually stays true, but the detail is about the customer experience. But it's still about the detail, detail, detail. So, so in, in, in sort of concrete ways, what values sort of underpin the culture that you know, makes that happen. So we, we wrote our values. So we wrote a vision and values for the organization on the 15th of May 2009. There was four of us sitting in a pub about 300 yards from our office. Um, and we wrote it on two beer mats, which I have framed now hanging up at home. And the values we wrote were to be amazing every second of every day. So attend to every detail, make every wrong right, ask if you're not sure, bump it up. And we go through it all. So it's a bit cheesy, but there's nothing wrong with a bit of cheese if it brings a bit of energy. And what we do now is we live that, those values in everything that we do. So we don't do performance reviews, we do amazing reviews. Because everybody says our people and our culture is the most important thing. And then they do 55 minutes of an hour performance review on the performance, and five minutes at the end going, oh yeah, and keep doing what you're doing. Whereas it should be on the behaviors and the values should be the 55 minutes. Because if you truly believe that the input creates the output, and the behaviors and the values are the input, why does everybody talk about performance and not behaviors and values. So we've embedded it into everything we do uh, from the very first minute when you know we sat in the pub and said, what are we trying to achieve here? How are we going to do it from a blank bit of paper? We knew that we wanted to grow an organization that would have circa 10,000 colleagues and therefore had to plot out that culture to create funds uh, and really into the detail of the values and how we bring them to life in language. So our contact centers, uh, call centers, we call them Amaze Direct. And First Direct are a very good organization of what we do. So the challenge for Amaze Direct is to be better than First Direct. Now you can go into a hundred different ways to measure it and do it, but the guys are motivated because they know we just want to be the best. That's it. And so language and how you set clarity, I think is very important in creating fans. And we try and take that down to a real detail level. So what you said is, you know, customer experience is driven by employee experience and making sure that those interactions work. So you must presumably think very carefully about how you hire people and bring people in, particularly as you get bigger. How have you managed to, I guess, take control of that if you're going to get to 10,000 people? I think we've made mistakes is the first thing I'd say, but we've made mistakes by trying to do things. Uh, and you know, the only way you don't make mistakes is not to do anything. So you know, from the four of us through to the 3,900 we are today, I think what we've done is professionalized ourselves, but with energy in front. So we don't do assessment centers, we have M factors. And yes, it's a cheesy take on X factor, but it's meant to be fun. <laughs> because what we want is we want people to turn up and be at their best. 
We're not trying to catch people out. We're trying to engage people to go on stage and genuinely show the best of themselves because that's what we want. You know, we have high fives at the end of it. We, we, we do MPS on uh, people we turn down so we can understand what was the experience like for them when we said no to them. Because if you can say no to somebody for a job, but have them walk away saying, what a great company and I want to bank with them, we win. Because we want to create fans amongst people who don't end up working for us. When we send you the letter confirming you're joining us, it's actually a flight ticket because we're going to take you on a journey. When you turn up, you have, what I'm trying to say is it's all about creating the energy and the difference from the very first point of contact, from the very first moment we touch you, is how can we create a, a focus on knowing that creating fans matters, whether you're a colleague or not. So I, I love um, you know, the fact that, like I said, we, we focus on what I would call hiring for attitude. And, and the attitude has to, our attitude has to come out through everything we do so that people can get comfortable with it and join us properly. Because we can give you the skills. We can train you to do most things. And we like bringing people in at junior levels and bringing them through. 29% uh, of our colleagues who've been with us for 18 months have been promoted. So we know if we can hire you the right attitudes with the right intellect and the right work ethic, we can bring you through. But your parents give you your attitude. <laughs> you know, so I need to know that you've got the right attitude when you join, because that I can't give you. So if you think about how that manifests itself then, uh, you're a very people-driven business, you're a very store-driven business. The world is becoming very omni-channel, to use a, uh, a good buzzword, online and offline. H how are you guys thinking about that? And, and you know, what relationship do you see your bank having in connecting the, the physical and the online world? Well, to me, you nailed it in, in the last part of that question, Bart. You said um, the physical and, and the, the digital or the omni. To me, what customers want is a joined-up experience. They want to be a fan of every touch point. <laughs> because the days when you can have a poor touch point here but a great touch point there don't matter anymore. And, and also, as an organization, we're not competing in service against other banks. We're now compared to whatever the latest mobile offering, app offering is. And therefore, you have to up your game to be playing at a global level on omni-channel service. And that's whether it's online, on the phone, on a desktop, or in store physical manifestation, you've got to raise your game because we are not compared to banks. We're compared to John Lewis or, or you know, wherever you are in the world, whatever you consider to be the pinnacle of service, that's what you compare whomever you interact with now. How, how do you do that? Because you know, a lot of what you'd call legacy businesses really struggle in connecting different systems and then also online and offline experiences. How have you? both technologically and organisationally kind of created that so that it works? Well, first of all, we said that if we were going to create fans, we had to be very clear that we had to create fans on every channel. So first of all, I think it's just accepting you have to do it. I think a lot of people don't accept they have to do it uh, and try and drive people in different channels, creating poor service in certain channels to drive them onto cheaper channels for servicing elsewhere. And chatbots, etc., are great in the right place but horrible in the wrong place, but often are, I think, put into the wrong place to drive people elsewhere. So to me, first of all, as a, as a leader of a business, we've got to be very clear that we want to be able to fulfill and create fans through every channel. What you then have to do is create the infrastructure. And you're right, data management, I think, is the hardest thing to do. Making sure you've got the right data lineage, data management, data structures to move data across every channel um, is so, so powerful. And, and I, I like to use the example of what we've managed to do. I, I have uh, two children, 10 and 8. and um, we in the bank have what we call magic money machines, which basically you count your coins for free. 
and if your kids count within a, uh, guess within a pound, they win a prize. So my kids, of course, have counted all the coins before we turn up because <laughs> they're kids. But it means we're engaging children in finance and counting, which no parent would go against. Once a month we go, they pour the coins into the magic money machine at our cheap side store. They guess within a pound because they've counted it. And they can then see it populate. The we've got a contactless pad. They tap their card onto the pad, and it populates the app within two seconds. That's joined up technology on so many different levels in the movement of data. My kids love it. It's engagement through the use of data, technology, and multi-channel. And to me, that's what you've got to think about all the time. So um, the ability, I, I believe we're the first bank in the world to be able to block and unblock a card instantly. We've been doing it for over six years now. So if you go on the mobile app, you can freeze your card. Then when you get back to the bar the next morning to pick it up, you can <laughs> open it up. We know that's where it normally happens, yeah? yeah. Uh, you always remember when you've just got on the train to go home. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what we can do is, though, we were the first people where you could block and unblock your card instantly. But then if you need to cancel it, you can also just pop into a store and collect a new one straight away. We're one of only three banks that can open accounts straight through end to end. It takes about 10 minutes. The majority of the customers who open a new bank account with us end-to-end -end, online walk into a store to collect a card within 24 hours because they don't want to wait for the postman. Mm -hmm. That's joining up and moving data. So to me, you've got to have one operational data stored. You've got to then develop enterprise data warehouse structures on the top of it. And then you've got to have make sure that you've got service architecture so you can move data from the one real source. You must never have multiple sources of data. It just it, it will stop the omni-channel approach truly working. So you've got to know what your customers want, and you've got to know what's going on in the wider marketplace and try to put the two together. You know, I, I love Apple. Any you know, you look at what Apple have achieved, and it is truly, truly impressive. And Amazon, and you know, but and I love when you talk to Apple. Why do Apple have stores? You know, they are a, a digital organization. They fulfill digitally. Why would I go past? a numerous number of different sites where I could buy uh, uh, an iPad or get it delivered within four hours, why would I want to go to an Apple store? Because it's the physical delivery of their brand. Apple love their stores. Truly integrated, truly integrated in the right way, bringing it to life, engaging customers. I mean, there's an omni-channel play that I often think gets missed in the way they think, the way they bring it to life, the way they differentiate themselves. And, and to me, they are one of the people who do watch what they're doing. So when they have the ability to um, remove um, receipts, it cost us around about £100,000 to implement. We removed paper off the desktops, so you sign on tablets. Uh, it actually saved us around about £800,000 in paper and toner by going to tablets. The tablets cost us £330,000 to put on all the desks in store. We write them off over three years, so we saved three quarters of a million quid nearly in the first year by being innovative. And we copied Apple, I'll be honest. <laughs> so, 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 so you guys are, I mean, you're sort of like, you know, poster children for great customer experience, but clearly some of them are just quite ideaful and some of them are fun and some of them maybe are a bit more utilitarian in how they work. How do you assess? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The impact of those on changes in customer behavior and, you know, therefore investing more in one versus the other. So we do a lot of the old fashioned things, you know, you look at your return on investment, you, you measure how behavior changes. For an example, and it's not really a high tech example, but, you know, to give you two different examples, we've set up, you can, it takes about two clicks to open a, an instant access account on the mobile app. So if you want a savings account, it's two clicks or you can go into store or for existing customers, we now see the majority of existing customers open their savings account on their mobile app. Now, if you look at the time that takes out of, or the efficiency and productivity that drives, it's huge. Of course, you can still open accounts online, you can do it on, you know, we would never stop you. But actually for ease of use, that return on investment has been huge. There are some things that you do where it's probably quite hard to work out exactly what the return is for that, but you're still doing those, you know, dog biscuits and opening, uh, you know, five minutes early and closing five minutes late. And, how do you assess the impact of those and how do you think about those in, in driving, I guess, what you're you hoping that, is more engaged customers? That is a great question and in some we don't. We just genuinely believe it's the right thing for the culture and the brand. So we do open our stores 10 minutes before we say we will and we do shut them 10 minutes after. And we don't actually measure um, the return on that because we have the people in the store and we can see Twitter light up. We know people talk about it. We don't advertise it, but we know our colleagues know. They refer to it as one of the things that is an example of how we think about our customers. And therefore, for me, there are things that you just know are totemic that you must never compromise them. Things like our uh, free coin counting. Um, putting free coin counting into every store. Uh, we were the first bank to do that, and one or two started to copy in certain places. And it's just very interesting. I can imagine if I'd gone, right, I want to put a £15,000 machine into every store to count coins for free. Yeah. That would have been a career-limiting opportunity in certain <laughs> organisations, you know? And how much are you going to charge? charge? No, 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 I said no, it's no, for, no, free. for free. Well, what are you trying well, to do? Trying to well, do? Well, I'm trying to engage trying customers to engage and get them to come and use us. But actually, we see, if you come in and use our magic money machines, we know typically you use those magic money machines three times and you end up banking with us. Now, when we put the machines in, we did not know that. We believed it was a service a bank should offer. We believed it was something that customers were being let down on by other organizations. And we believed it was something that our colleagues would feel good about. When other banks were turning customers away, we would help them. And that's about creating funds. Has it paid back? Yes, I know exactly how much every hundred pounds costs in the machine. I know typically three times you'll bank with us. And by God, it has. But we didn't do we it didn't for, that. Do it for that. We did it because we, we believed it was the right thing to do to create fans. It was the right thing to do within the culture. I think that's such a big point because you know increasingly, you know the desire for measurability, the desire for understanding what something does and how it pays back or whatever. I mean, it's it's a more possible than it ever has been before, and b it's more important than it has ever has before. But it sounds like there's still a 
there's still a home and a role for some things that, to your point, just feel like the right things to do for the business, something that's competitively differentiated and that people will like. And I think that's a really, really big message. Because, but you can do that because you're the CEO. <laughs> what, what about? It's, can, it's a liberating what, message. But I can as well, do that actually, because we have a culture. We have a culture that we've established that we genuinely stand behind. And because we don't want to wave from that culture, because we know creating fans is the key, we made a decision to do something on our savings accounts, and we communicated it out to our stores. And a store manager on Yammer wrote, "I think this is the wrong decision. I don't think this fits with being amazing." And that was called out in front of the time about two and a half thousand people, and it rocked me back on my heels, because I could not not respond to that. And in the cold light of day, the decision myself and the rest of the executive leadership team had taken was wrong. And I had to go in writing to two and a half thousand people real time and go, "You're probably right." That's a really hard gig, you know. Forgive me, you, we all have egos, and and I do, like everybody else. But that store manager in Hamel Hempstead, Shane was right and I was wrong. And he'd called it out using our common language, our culture, our values, uh, and he was right. And I'm pleased he did because we changed that decision publicly in front of all of our colleagues on the back of the creating fans. And I guess to me that's why you are right. You must make decisions. But also by creating a very clear framework and language, you create an environment where people can challenge you in a safe way because they know the totemic nature of that language and that culture. I, I mean, I, I'm interested, you know, what you think, but I think there's a big shift actually. So, you know, sort of a million years ago when I started in marketing, customer experience and touch points was really measured and delivered through what I would call inputs. You know, you had a conversation about what am I going to put into this moment and marketing people were obsessed with making sure they had the right inputs at the right time. You're talking about a world where actually it's much more about outputs where you're measuring actually how people feel about what you've gone, which is really empowering in a human business. Where do you see the challenge of that as, it's, as technology starts to take hold and you kind of, you know, you, you, you almost kind of give some of that responsibility to machines and to, you know, technology and solutions? I think it becomes more important. I think it becomes more important to understand the human touch, even if it's through that. It, there's an old saying, I'm sure I'm going to get it totally wrong, is that you understand the cost of everything but the value of nothing. <laughs> Uh, and there's just a danger in measurement that you unitize everything and understand the unitization of everything. But when you add it up, it doesn't count to the value that you could have created by thinking more holistically. And I do think you need to understand the cost and you do need to understand the, the unitization of everything. But you also need to understand the value that creates for the organization and the brand and the culture you're creating. And you know, I was using a large TV company and I had a problem with my broadband and went on to try and get it solved and went onto the internet and was sent through an FAQ, you know, frequently asked questions and genuinely couldn't find the answer. I then rang up and went through about 27 different press one for this, two for that and genuinely couldn't get there. And then just as I was getting to finding where I needed to be, it said at eight o'clock it shut. And it's fair to say I'd spent an hour and 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so that I'm sure they have cut their costs because I've wasted an hour and 20 minutes, and, but uh, tomorrow I'm going to be much quicker at getting through to them, and I'm still going to have to speak to somebody, but I'm going to be really hacked off. And it's not going to take much for me to be won away by another organisation if they treat me with a little bit more humanity. So let me ask you a question, because I think that's a really interesting example. So if I put you now as CEO of that company, mm -hmm. where would you start? <laughs> I'd like to understand, well, I'm a banker, so first of all, I would start understanding the, the numbers 
but the numbers across the P&L, our colleague uh, satisfaction and our customer satisfaction. And then I'd want to see where we were over or under indexing across it all. Because there's a danger in driving costs too low that you under index in other areas, which might be great for this year's P&L, but damages a company long term. And I think as a CEO, my job is to deliver the numbers today, tomorrow, and in five years' time. And, and that if you make false decisions today, you can look great. But all you're doing is driving the business further and further down. Yeah, I mean, to, to, to me, it seems that the core principle around this notion of combining technology with the customer experience is actually what, what we talk about to our students at Oxford, which is, in, say, in the context of AI, which, of course, mm -hmm. is the hot topic. It's HIAI, human intelligence, artificial intelligence, this hybrid blended approach. Because I'm, I'm certain that there is advanced analytics, artificial intelligence, you know, there, there are neural networks running, you know, a metro bank system to so do all sorts of things like fraud detection and everything else, of course. But that doesn't substitute for that great customer experience. And so back to your values, there's the human bit, there's the, the tech bit. To me, what you want is to create that culture and tone of voice that expands across everything. And when you talk about artificial in intelligence, it's really interesting. We've just launched our artificial intelligence through our mobile app. We call it Insights. It's a, we've integrated with a, a, about 19 fintechs now, and this is the latest one. It's getting great feedback. But what we've done is we've really tried to put the language so it feels human. A and we've spent more time on trying to get the language right to, to make sure it engages customers and isn't cold. And I do think that's where language and that culture needs to play through. It's all artificial intelligence, but it's about how can you help make it useful and real rather than just artificial intelligence. And to me, we're moving away from artificial intelligence, actually, because the AI for me is assisted intelligence. The more that you can use uh, technology to assist and inform, the better you are. The more that you do it to replace, I worry about the replacement because that's when I wonder whether you take it too far. Yeah, as, as technology moves further and further ahead, how, how will you as a bank think about, you know, let's say you've 100,000 customers, uh, sorry, um, staff in the future, how will you think about the brief that you give your people who are developing the technology to make sure you retain, you know, that? Because it must be quite tough. For me, when we're thinking about how to leverage technology, we don't, s actually that's not true, you do start sometimes with what can technology achieve? But what you've got to know is what are we trying to achieve? So if we're talking to customers or looking at what's happening in other industries, how could we apply that experience into our, our experience? And then what's the technology that can be used to enable and support that? You also have what are we doing today that customers want, but in all honesty, we could do better or cheaper with the right technology. And don't get me wrong, you know, Metro Bank is not a nirvana of just spend as much money as you can to get the best experience. We have to make a profit, we have to, we have to, we have to. And therefore you're looking at ways, you know, to drive straight through processing whilst delivering the right experience to customers. But it's knowing when to stop. Mm -hmm. And if you can save, you know, if there's a, a, a 37p transaction cost and you can save 19p of that, is that better than saving 22p of that and driving a poor experience? And I think it's, it's it, from a technology and assisted play, it's understanding where you go on that continuum. But we're always looking for how we can drive productivity and efficiency. We're always looking how we can drive straight through processing. But we're also always looking about how can we then make sure that we're creating fans and how we do it. So I guess it's optimizing rather than maximizing. And I look at so many leveragings of technology that don't go within a brand. Because what they've done is they, they've created a brand concept gone out and sold it, but then the people who are trying to drive the cost base 
have driven a maximisation of cost reduction and not an optimisation of cost to deliver the brand. And I think if you lose the optimisation of cost to deliver the brand, you get a disconnect between the brand and the delivery. And I think that's when you start to see companies get into conflict, both internally and externally. There's an up another aspect to that, to your point about efficiency, that I think is really, really uh, a big deal, which is back to the point of fans, because that gives you the freedom to do certain things. So if I understand correctly, you don't spend much on advertising. If it's £62,000 really last year. And, and, and so why is that? Because I think the brand is so important. And, and the way we look at it, brand, everything you do either supports and builds the brand or damages the brand. And so what we do is everything we focus on is, is this driving how we create fans? Is this making sure that we're seen as creating fans? So brand is hugely important to us because it's all about creating fans. And therefore what we want to do to create fans, we believe that we are better off investing in how we engage customers rather than how we market or advertise to customers. So we do do marketing, we just don't do a lot of advertising at the moment because we market through, you know, last year 27,000 school children went through our education program. We believe that we are the largest educator of financial education, sorry, into schools in the UK. We're a tiny company. It's a very sad indictment that we think we might be that, and I'm trying to get the proof, so you know, <laughs> it's a to be confirmed. But we would rather spend our money on engaging into the communities because we think that is our brand about creating fans being there. But that's to build the brand. So you have to have absolute brand clarity. Absolute brand clarity, because that's cultural clarity, and you can't afford for your brand and your culture to be disconnected. To me, they have to be one in the same. And then everything you do has to be behind that to drive it forward, which is why we don't advertise, because we think we can drive the creating fans harder by not telling people what we think they should think, just by doing it. We do see fans as more loyal, do more with you, and bring more people to you. And if you think about it, 62 grand of advertising means we win the vast majority of our customers through word of mouth, yeah. which is why you have to create fans. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.cantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.